How's everybody doing? I'm good. Doing good. Yeah. I'm I'm uh, I'm ready to talk about movies. I just saw a movie yesterday. That's how ready I am to talk about movies. You saw a movie yesterday? That's that's kind of rare for you. <laughs> Get out of here, Aaron. Uh, Aaron, t- tell us who's with us and, and what we're doing today, would you? Yeah, uh, uh, Niccolo Grasso's with us, or Nick Grasso. Uh, he uh, he's been on the podcast before. Uh, he's he's pretty much a, a movie expert um, and a media expert, and he uh, he has multiple podcasts. He has Uncut Gems, which is a great podcast where. He talks with uh, his co-host about rare movies that are maybe overlooked and need and are worth revisiting. And he just recently did like a David Lynch um, month. And then he also did a John Woo month. And it's just like a lot of fun. And then he also does a Death by uh, Adaptation podcast, which is um, I actually don't listen to that one as much. But that one is about uh, you where you read the book and then you watch the movie and then you compare the two. So he's all yeah. over all of that. And uh, yeah, we're happy to have him on again. It was an introduction. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I I love movies a lot, probably too much, you could say. And I've seen a bunch this year. So I'm, I'm excited to delve into it. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, who Who wants to start? Well, should we? I guess here. Well, let, let, let's uh, frame I, yeah. it this way. I'm, I'll, I'm gonna frame it for everybody. So, yeah, yeah. Usually, yeah, yeah. usually we talk about video games a lot on this podcast, but we're technically a pop culture podcast. We also like to talk about film, TV, theory. <coughs> um, so we're gonna dedicate this podcast to talking about our favorite movies of 2022, but also our favorite TV shows of 2022, and. We, I, I decided to make it challenging and say that you could only do no more than five. So you can only select five movies or five TV shows. Um, so we're going to... S- or one or the other? Or or you could do one or the other. Because I know that... Wait, no, no. Do you mean five... Are you saying we can do f- only five movies or five TV shows? Or we can do five movies and five TV and, shows? And, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, no, I'm not that cutthroat. You know, not <laughs> like kill your darlings like oh no what am i gonna pick here sophie's choice and then you're yeah, and then I you're stuck with editing. like twin peaks the return and you're like is it a movie or a tv show i don't know which one it is oh no <laughs> just putting it on both lists might as well so, yeah it's gonna be fine <laughs> if it's fine. both categories you know <laughs> but, yeah but uh, and then like also with avatar way of the water is it a movie or a video game i don't know which one is hey. it no. <laughs> really is it is there some I thought that was just like a documentary. Uh, uh, it's Avatar is a documentary. You're right. It is just a yeah. document. It's a documentary <laughs> of James Cameron's insanity. That's what it is. Oh God. Yeah. It's Pandora. I, uh... Ten years later. Yeah. But um. Oof. But yeah, I I kind of figured we would start with movies first, and yeah. we could kind of share our top fives and why. Um. What and you know I think I might. Well, actually, Aaron, I want to ask you, did you want to do it like we each share our fifth pick and then move up? Or do you want to just we all drop our list and then we just talk about it? Uh, yeah, we could do the the rotating. I think that works well. So because um, I, I just realized I have watched five movies this year. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll have something to talk about. Uh, yeah. But no, no, let's. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, why don't you start and tell us what your what your I guess uh, 
your least favorite movie of the year was. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean, uh, we're just gonna do least favorites. Well, in that case, number five. I'm kidding. Is, I'm kidding. Yeah. Number five is Thor: Love and Thunder. No, I'm kidding. Oof. <laughs> Oof. No, number... I, I I remember you when I went when I was on the podcast, or you were like, "Nah, don't don't watch Thor: Love and Thunder." I was like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna watch it." And then it was one evening with the family, and they were like, "Let's watch something." Oh, let's open Disney Plus. It was just like massive banner for Thor: Love and Thunder. Oh, let's watch Thor. I was like, no, please, no. And it was even worse than I was expecting. But thankfully, it's not in the top five. Um, mm. Picking five movies out of an entire year. I've watched uh, over 80 this year, which is lower than most years, <laughs> which is bizarre. <laughs> if you think about it, it's a lot of movies, a lot, a lot of new releases. But I was going through it. I was thinking, you know, this movie was great. This movie was great. But what are the five movies that really stood out to me and that have stuck with me since I first saw them? And this is why at number five, I have Top Gun Maverick. Let's go. I'm not able to go to the cinema anymore as often as it was beforehand because of work, because of other things. And I was like, ah, but whenever I manage to go there, I want the experience to be memorable. I want it to be something unforgettable. And Top Gun Maverick delivered in spades. Uh, I love my boy Tom Cruise, you know, personal life aside. <laughs> He's one of the last <laughs> few proper uh, movie stars left in Hollywood. And so watching Top Gun on the big screen, like, it was an experience, the likes of which we, we rarely see nowadays. You know, all of the yeah. mainstream movies tend to be comic book films, and it's all the CGI, and it's all the usual nonsense. It's predictable. But Top Gun Maverick manages to take, you know, a, a, a pretty standard narrative. You've seen it countless times before, but it manages to make it more personal than you would expect, more emotional, and just pretty darn good. Like, you get to the last half an hour of the movie, which is just this amazing set piece, that is nail-biting, that is engaging, that is tense, and you're just like on, your, on the edge of your seat, immaculately shot, great performances all around. Like, yeah, I haven't been able to watch that many action movies this year, but Top Gun Maverick absolutely beat the competition. Like, this is amazing. And that's why it's at my number five spot. So uh, I also have it on my top five. I'm not going to say where, but I completely, Ooh. I completely agree with everything you're saying. To me, w whenever I talk to people about Top Gun Maverick, uh, a lot of people will will say, "Why do you watch?" Not a lot of people, but <coughs> some people will say, "Why do you watch such blatant military propaganda like <laughs> Top Gun Maverick?" And I'm like, "Okay, it's not really." A war movie it's more like a star wars movie like this is yes. this is just an exciting piece of entertainment that is just so that that delivers um the core relationships and how they form are just incredible um yeah. i just i just i love top gun maverick too that's the to me that's the movie theater movie of the year and uh i guess speaking of movie theater movies i'm, I'm gonna go with my number five and I might have to eat a crow on this one because I just saw it. But I think I think I'm gonna shout out James Cameron and just say Avatar: Way of the Water. That was a great movie theater experience. And uh, I th I don't know if it's gonna actually be my top five, like what in my top five, a couple months yeah. from now. But I'm gonna just say Avatar: Way of the Water was an amazing movie going experience and James Cameron de delivered with the special effects. So that is currently going to be like my number five. And it doesn't, I think I like it more than the first one because the first one had the Pocahontas story thing that was really distracting. 
while this one is really just like Princess Mononoke, it's like the water people versus the the uh, colonists, the imperialists, and then battles happen. And I, I just thought that was way more engaging. Um, also, it's just one of those movies. I feel like when I watch CGI in movies now, like I, I think Disney, uh, specifically Marvel, has really lowered the standards of CGI, mm-hmm. and it just just doesn't look impressive anymore. There are so many shots in the new Avatar where I was like, "Oh my god, special effects are cool." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna tentatively say that my number five currently is uh, Avatar: Way of the Water. I could have picked others. I could have picked Barbarian, which I also loved. Oh. Could have I could have picked. A, uh, I also really loved Claire Denise Star Stars of Noon, but I'm gonna be the shill for James Cameron and say Avatar. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Aaron, how about you? What's your number five? Uh, my number five is going to be Nope. I'm, I'm uh, not, I, I enjoy Jordan Peele's work and uh, I love, uh, I love California and I love Westerns and the way he sort of incorporated like, like visual aspects of the Western into like a, a horror film about, people with uh well i guess i won't spoil it but um (laughs) like it was good it didn't stick with me that much and it definitely i I got slightly a little bored by the end but like i i I enjoyed it a lot i also enjoyed like the filmmaking process like a lot of the film was shot like day for night i believe that's something i'm always kind of like trying to uh master myself so it was interesting to see it like done well um yeah what what i I really watch it Oh, you haven't watched it yet? I haven't. I haven't. It's really good. I, um, I, I, am not gonna lie. I saw it in the same week that I saw Top Gun Maverick, so it kind of stole. Top Gun (laughs) kind of stole its thunder a little bit. Um, but the thing I like about Nope is that, um, I think Jordan Peele is really good at making really ambiguous narratives where the themes aren't totally clear and you have to kind of talk with somebody else about it for a while. Like, Oh, it's kind of like about spectacle. It's about race and spectacle, but it's also just about certain irrational fears that you have. Like there's a, there's a tangent in the movie that is absolutely terrifying that involves a monkey. And it just taps into like Mm -hmm. a really irrational fear that I have. And the way it's presented in the narrative is very irrational. And I, I really liked I really liked it. Um, I thought Nope was definitely also a really good movie. Not in my top five, but I I liked it a lot. Number four. I defer to Nick. Uh, When I was making the list, I thought like, man, this this is missing, you know, the international feature. Like, what's the non-English language movie of the year? I particularly enjoyed it. And there were there were a lot to pick that I watched. I think like you mentioned Claire Denis earlier. I don't know if you've seen the other one that she made this year, Both Sides of the Blade. It's I, really I, good. It, I haven't seen that one yet. I, I've heard it's better, so I should watch it. I really like that one. But there is another French movie that I watched this year that I saw at, at the Venice Film Festival called Saint-Omer. Oh, I've heard and great things. Yeah. I went into it going like, I love cinema primarily as a, as a visual medium. Whenever you put me in a room, you're like, oh, it's going to be a movie of people talking. It's like, ah, oh, this is a courtroom drama, two hours long. I was I was ready to just fall asleep. Like, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to be. But it actually blew me away. It is such a stripped down uh, courtroom drama about 
a, a, a writer who's trying to find inspiration for a new novel, she finds out that a woman, a mother, just killed her own daughter. So there's kind of a media element in it. She thinks, okay, I, I, can, I can write something about this. And so she attends the trial of this woman. And it starts off as kind of, let's not even say a mystery, because it's like, did she actually do it? It's like, no, no, yeah, she did it. It evolves into this exploration of, of motherhood, of femininity, of just the role of women in the world nowadays. It's so bare bones that it's disarming. Like you're just watching it thinking, like, wow, this is almost like a documentary. And the director herself actually primarily shot documentaries in her life. This is her first fiction feature debut. And I was blown away. Like everyone around me was crying by the end. There's there's a, an incredible monologue uh, during the last scene that just completely took everyone by surprise. And, and it deservedly won a couple of awards. And I was like, yeah, this... You know, it's not usually the type of movie I would champion. I'm not one for, you know, dialogue-driven films, but this one was absolutely amazing. And I know it's coming out, maybe, in the US <laughs> this week's Very limited run, so if anyone has the opportunity to check it out, uh, it's a high recommendation. It's, uh, uh, is, is the filmmaker's name Alice Diop? I, I, I kind of heard, or... Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, I heard she... I could be wrong. I probably shouldn't make this claim until I research it, but I'm pretty sure she did not do it. This might be her first narrative movie. Let me... Uh, yes. Like yeah. proper fiction. Yeah, yeah. Non, uh, not the documentary, which is impressive, yeah, honestly. That's very impressive. Um, very naturalistic performances all around. Like, it's it's amazing. Yeah, that sounds really good. I gotta... That, mm. I, I keep hearing amazing things about that one, so I gotta check that one out. Um, my number four is uh i'm gonna i'm gonna give it to guillermo del toro i saw i saw his new pinocchio movie okay here's the thing with guillermo uh i know nick you don't feel the same way about this having talked to you outside of the podcast but uh i actually have kind of fallen off of del toro in recent years uh i didn't really like the shape of water that much i mean i liked it i it was it was interesting but i didn't connect with it in the way that i connected with pan's labyrinth the devil's backbone like those are the ones that i really like because i really love it when he deals with adult themes like mortality fascism but he Mm -hmm. does it through the perspective of a child and i think that concept is what makes his movies strong and i think when he does it with adults it doesn't hit as hard with me so his new movie pinocchio is is really just a fascinating movie because it's a children's movie. It's a stop motion children's movie and it feels like a children's movie. Like anyone can watch it, but it's about things like mortality, fascism, exploitation, capitalism, and just how, how base human beings motivated by self interests are, how, 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 how absolutely awful they can be. And I just thought that was wonderful. I just I just was so captivated by that that it was able to pull that off. And the last five minutes in particular just had had me in tears. I just thought it was such an amazing statement on the transience of life, um, the inevitability of death and how that's okay, you know, because you're communicating that to a child. And I, I just loved it. I thought it was uh, its de- a, a lock for my number four, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I thought it was just absolutely wonderful. 
Yeah, this game is shy, shy of entering my top five. But I wanted to avoid recency bias because usually over time these things kind of, you know, lower themselves. So I, thought, ah, I'll, I know the good Orion will have it on his list. Uh, but yeah, like the ending got me hard, really, really hard emotionally. Uh, love Guillermo. Everything he touches turns to gold. To me, at least. Even though I watched Nightmare Alley recently. Uh, yeah. Wasn't the biggest fan of it. It's a bit flawed. Good movie, but... Uh, it's no Pinocchio. Pinocchio is the best of the three Pinocchios that came out in 2022. There's so many. Well, it was funny because I saw Nightmare Alley and I was like, oh man, I think I just don't like Del- Guillermo del Toro anymore. I think it's over. I'm, I'm just mm. writing him off now. Because it, it was just so... It wasn't bad. It was just very flat. Like, it just didn't do anything for me. And... um. I mean, speaking of recency bias, these two picks, four and five, are basically recency bias, but <laughs> I'm feeling pretty strongly that Pinocchio is going to stay in the top five. Like, I don't think Avatar is going to stay in the top five. That's more recency bias, but I thought it'd be fun to throw it in there. But <laughs> Pinocchio, I'm pretty yeah. sure is going to be in my top five. Anyway, Aaron, what would be in, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, uh, a good A24 film about like, I guess it's about like social connections, institutional connections, family connections, and then like it takes this plunge into like um, multi-dimensional travel. We, we've all seen this, right? I mean, I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah, um, yeah it's good. Yeah, just I, a, lo- I love a it. Fun, like, like a fun film that has some, some serious like themes on, underneath it. That uh, th- I think I asked you guys. I was like, I need a movie to take my very pregnant wife to, <laughs> that 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 that'll that'll work. And, and it was like that or Crimes of the Future. And I was definitely <laughs> glad I did not take her to Crimes of the Future. So good choice. <laughs> it's yeah. a good film. Yeah, it's good. Uh, honestly, my favorite part of the movie is uh, when they really obviously reference Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. I was like, okay, I like this movie. If they're gonna do a reference like this, I like it. Yeah, I, I was surprised by the by the low 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 scale nature of it all, you know, because knowing it was about the multiverse, I was expecting something grandiose. But instead, it's very intimate. It's very personal. It's all pretty much set in this one office building as well. Um, fascinating, like how much you can do with just creativity and uh, a good enough budget. Not too big. Not too small. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's really it's good. It's a good one. It's a good one. Um, how about number th- number three? We're going into number three now. Uh, Nick, what do you have? Number three is another movie that's that I knew was going to be a lock for me as soon as I watched it this year, and it's unfortunately a movie that's not yet available. I think in the U.S. because it's one of those weird, you know, an Italian director shooting a film abroad. And this is directed by Andrea Pallaoro, and the movie is called Monica. And oh. it stars Trace Lisette, I believe is her name. She's a t- trans actor. And the entire movie is just just beautiful. I think I, I, I'm always very um, intrigued and fascinated by LGBT stories and narratives, and I'm always watching multiple queer movies. And a lot of them are downers, like big, big, massive downers. But this one is actually one of those that's serious, but also life-affirming in a positive way. Um, It's about this woman who, you know, she's kind of hired to help her old mother who's suffering from dementia to kind of, you know, Mm. help her out at home, keep her company. But the entire kind of idea of the movie is that 
in the past, the mother never really accepted the daughter for transitioning. And so after many, many, many years, she doesn't even recognize her own daughter. And so there's this element of tension of like, what's going to happen between mother and daughter? And the mother doesn't know that this is her daughter. And what's going to happen? It's very beautifully shot. Very, it's, it's kind of the opposite of saint Very few dialogue scenes. A lot of just, you know, quiet moments. Borderline slow cinema. But it works so well. It's so beautiful. And it ends up being such a, just, just a positive film. Like I finished it and thought, wow, I thought it was going to be just a just a depressing watch instead it's so touching i was like man i i really loved it and this probably has in my opinion the best use of uh of the pop song um normal people i think that's the name oh nice it, it, it comes at a pivotal moment in the film and it's just ugh. it's hard it's very hard uh so this is a, another strong recommendation unfortunately yeah it's very limited release even in Italy. It's one of those indie films that, you know, deserves more love. Someone should pick it up like movie or a Criterion, you know, just to put them on their streaming channels and show them to the world. Yeah, it kind of goes to show that, um, you know, I, I think about this a lot, but when I was looking at a lot of top 10 lists this year, you see like a lot of the same usual sus- suspects like Tar, like The Fablemans. Mm. <laughs> like you see a decision to leave you see a lot of the same movies and it kind of makes me go like do people just not watch movies outside of just the big movies anymore and i think that's like a an interesting testament to that of like a movie like monica or a movie like saint omer um if more it's people so saw, hard yeah like if more people saw them they'd probably make more top 10 lists but they're just not widely available at least not in the u.s uh, which is disappointing yeah. It's a bit of an unfortunate, you know, cycle that you go through because people don't really go to those movies and no real distributor wants to pick them up. And therefore, no one can watch them. <laughs> so less people are interested in checking them out. It's yeah. it's a bit sad. I think even the previous movie, because I, I first discovered the director at the Venice Film Festival again back in 2017. The movie was called Anna with Charlotte Rampling. Mm-hmm. Another great movie. No one saw it. Barely came out. Barely distributed, you know. So it's... I mean, I mean, blessing for still being able to make movies that no one watches. They're good movies. That's the thing. I wish more people were able to see them, but uh, yeah. more influencers should get on them, I guess. Seriously. Like all the decision to leave stands that every day they're tweeting about that movie and making it popular automatically. That's yeah. good Twitter. Yeah, Decision to Leave is an interesting one. Uh, I'll move on to my top three in a second, but <laughs> I think Decision to Leave is a really interesting movie in the sense that I'm a big Park Chan-wook fan, but I actually thought that movie was a big disappointment compared to his other movies. Like, I didn't oh. I didn't dislike it. I just really loved The Handmaiden, and when I watched Decision to Leave, I was like, that didn't really hit as much as I was hoping. And mm. maybe, and, and it kind of, I guess, like, what I'm trying to say is that sometimes I think a lot of people just band around a movie because they just love the director so much, <laughs> and I think that is actually a case of that but but i don't know mm. I mean, if you if you love decision to leave and it's on your top five uh never mind i haven't but... seen it yet it's not even come out here <laughs> so I'm, still, I'm still waiting for another couple of months i don't know i think movies it's... distributing it internationally or something so it's good i mean i gave it a three uh, a seven out of ten on my letterbox so i still oh. i still liked it i just it's just 
didn't uh i actually yeah there were other movies i liked more this year so i was surprised that that one is getting so much attention but anyway Mm -hmm. my number three is also top gun maverick um i don't really have much more to say about it except that it's probably my favorite summer blockbuster to come out since at least mad max fury road like i just think it's (laughs) phenomenal um uh but yeah great movie i love top gun maverick and uh i'll uh pass it off over to aaron for his number three Man, I gotta see Top Gun. I am, I'm feeling bad about not seeing that. I think uh, I'll have to uh, make that happen soon. Here, it sounds fun. But uh, my number three is is a strange pick. It's the Batman, which uh, like is continuing. Like like I don't like uh, superhero movies. I think that's been pretty <laughs> pretty clear <laughs> in, in in my past commentary. But like DC has been doing this thing where they basically rip off like more prestige classic cinema and then like shoehorn it into a Batman or Joker or something movie. Uh, and, and maybe it works better in the Batman than it did in Joker. Uh, I'm going to have to ask other people's opinion on that, but um, I, Batman was pretty enjoyable. Like it, it was a pretty good use of, of the source material, which I'll not name because it might, might, be a, might be a spoiler, but uh, it, it was, it was a good superhero movie. Like it's, it's what I'd want to see. I think it was rated R. So it was, you know, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's like, uh, well, I'm just going to spoil it. It's Zodiac. Okay. It's Zodiac and Seven, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. It's Fincher inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it like literally has scenes out of it. It's particularly, like, like literally an exact scene from Seven. But um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, was, it was pretty entertaining. It's a good dumb action movie, I guess. I, I, I loved it when it came out. I think, I think it's... Uh, I, I think I think some I've soured on it a little bit because the more I think about the third act, the more I'm like it kind of pulled a lot of punches punch, punches there, but I still mm. really enjoy watching that movie. Specifically, the uh, penguin ch- car chase I think is thrilling, and I love how the whole car chase is shot from like cameras just attached to their vehicles, and mm. you just hear the revving em- engines, and I just thought that was really awesome. But anyway, yeah, the Batman. Uh, Number two, Nick, what is your number two? It was a very tight call between number one and number two. I was like, oh, where is it going to fit? Where is it going to fit? I was like, okay, fine. I'll just take it. Bones and all, number two. <laughs> nice. I love, love Bones and all. Part of me kind of hates it because I've been working on a, on a script of a cannibal romance for over a year now. And then I watched this. I was like, there's so many of the ideas I had in this film. including the ending it's like shit so i have to to rework it a little bit but loved it loved it so much i really like luca guadagnino's filmography in general uh he has this very he manages to truly transport you into his worlds there's always a very rich sense of just texture into it like this is shot in rural america you just feel the warmth of this summer these teenagers kind of going on this road trip through various states it's it's very it's very tender surprisingly so i think it's not as gross as it could have been but maybe it's for the better because otherwise many people wouldn't watch it if it were actually very (laughs) very graphic Mm -hmm. and very detailed in its horror elements but yeah i think taylor russell is a revelation in here i've I've always really enjoyed her in other side roles and smaller movies like the like the escape room ones not great movies but she's great in them but Bones and all, yeah, she's amazing. And the whole film is just uh, unforgettable. I watched it twice, and the ending got me even harder on a second watch. Um, truly, truly powerful cinema. 
So Bones and All is also my number two, though it could okay. all it could also be not my number one. Honestly, like really, like mm-hmm. if I my top ten list is really like one and two, and then everything else. So I really feel strongly about my top two, and Bones and All is number two, though it could be number one. Uh, I completely agree. I think um, I think what I love the most about Bones and All is that it's um it's a movie about cannibals and that's super gnarly but luca guadagnino is more interested in how that kind of gives these characters an outsider status like they have this thing that can never be accepted into society because it's this feral thing that they can't control and they just have to learn to live with that thing that they have Mm. and I, i think it just like leads to a lot of great moments like especially with timothy chalamet and some of his uh monologues near the end of the movie about being an outsider and how that feels is just uh incredible um also i just think uh bones and all when it just comes to the sensual pleasures of watching movies like no no there wasn't another movie this year that did that better like the magic hour shots in 35 millimeter the close-ups of timothy chalamet dragging a cigarette the lights of a carnival just it just looked sumptuous in a way that movies don't look sumptuous anymore so bones and all also my number two it might be my favorite luca movie to be honest i i I just really loved it um i mean some people say call me by your name some people people say suspiria i think he's been improving with every movie i just really Hmm. i really love what he's doing and i really love it when he works in horror um and then one last thing i'll say about it is you said that it couldn't have been as messed up as it as it as it should have been or could have been. I watched uh, Claire Denise Trouble Every Day like right yes. after watching it, and I was like, "Okay, that is a fucked up movie." <laughs> that, that, that sees the line, draws the line, and just jumps above it, and just above and beyond. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, was, it's a messed up film. I, I, <laughs> Those I, places. I loved it, but man, that was a fucked up movie compared to Bones and All. Bones and All, like, people that say that Bones and All is fucked up, I'm like, you should watch Trouble Every Day. That's a fucked up movie. Yeah, um, Bones and All is a <laughs> YA novel, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's for teenagers, you know. <laughs> yeah, they just eat people, you know. But anyway. Um, anyway, yeah, so that's my number two. Uh, Aaron, what would be your number two? Shit, man, I want to see that so bad. Uh uh, my number two is going to be The Northman, which uh, coming out the bat, I think is a compromised film in some ways. You can feel Robert Eggers restraining himself, whether that's ultimately a good thing or not. I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I could imagine a version of this movie that had a little more of the like mysticism and subjectivity that, it, that the start of the film and certain parts of the film have that it gets a little more concrete towards the end. But I thought it was beautiful. I thought it had like one of the most like horrific raid sequences I've ever seen in a movie and um, I, I don't know I just enjoyed it I'm kind of a, a Robert Eggers stan so forgive me <laughs> but that's, that's where I'm at don't forgive yourself because it's I really like that film as well it's solid solid I think it could have been oh uh, yeah if it were the I don't know three hour cut whatever that he envisioned at first could have been even better but it's still amazing yeah, it's like the yeah. best gladiator like movie since gladiator yeah, <laughs> probably yeah, totally. stripped down revenge action sandal epic yeah i think i think yeah. that might be um uh frequent guest of the show drew um from select screen i think that's his favorite movie of the year i could be wrong but 
He also oh, wow. really likes that movie. Um, I, I liked it too. I'm, I think I'm a little bit uh, uh, more more chill on it than a lot of people. And I think it's just, uh, um, I, I think, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure where I stand with Eggers yet. I feel like I need to like absorb and rewatch his movies more to like kind of get on his wavelength. But I haven't qu- quite gotten there yet. But I do admire what the Northman's doing a lot. And it's it's probably one of the best looking movies of the year. Like, I think that's safe to say, like, his his grasp of production design specifically is just unparalleled uh, in um, American cinema. So, uh, yeah. anyway, number one, I defer to you, Nick. Oh, number okay. You, you know when you just watch a movie and you think this film was made for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably like considering the, the types of like I had Saint Omer on this list. I had Monica's like, oh my god, this. This very, you know, prestige dramas on the list. Uh, but I watched this movie back in March or April of this year. I've seen it three times since. And it's still locked as my number one movie. It's Ty West's X. Oh, hell yeah. Might nice. co- it might come as a shock for some people. Uh, but I love this film so much. This this is uh, this is kind of like... The, this is the type of movie I would love to make one day. It is... Everything that I love about genre filmmaking, I think there's so much that could be done with, you know, experimenting narratively with with horror and action and thrillers. And I think Ty West just gets it. And this entire movie, I love how it's... Like, I know there's a lot of people, I remember recently, when they kind of got on Ty West, like, hating on him because reasons I don't even really understand. Like, maybe the sights and sound list that he had was too mainstream nonsense like that <laughs> yeah um, that, that's like he's always been was, bad that was a really funny list though because it was literally like tokyo story vertigo citizen Kane, so. godfather and godfather. All, all the super big ones yeah, yeah, yeah. i thought that was funny bless but anyway him. <laughs> bless him um but what i particularly loved about like watching x is that it's both a movie that you can dissect like crazy if you want to, like your stereotypical, you know, the more prestigious horror from A24, but it's also just a really good piece of genre filmmaking in its own right. It delivers gnarly kills, it delivers a lot of tense moments, it's also very darkly funny, but I also particularly mm-hmm. loved its obsession with just, you know, the, the camera, the moving camera, just cinema capturing youth and beauty rendering rendering these people immortal basically and also subverting everything on its own head because it starts off and it's like oh this is going to be like a texas chainsaw massacre riff and then it's not that at all and then there's this whole like monologue dialogue halfway through the film about like give, you have to give people what they want even though that's not like that people because it's all about you know the porn industry in the first half because people these people these teenagers are shooting a an adult film in their bar, in a barn that they rented and so it's all the commentary in there there's there's a lot to talk about i'm not gonna get into it here otherwise it's gonna be a 50 minute rant <laughs> probably <laughs> um but yes i every time i watch a new movie that everyone loves i'm thinking Am I going to like this more than X? And they give me something like Bones and all. I'm like, I really love it, but it's not X, which is <laughs> shocking to me. It's shocking to me, but yeah, this is the number one theme of the year. With a shout out to Pearl as well, the spin-off prequel, which is also very much worth a watch. Yeah, I was gonna ask if you'd seen Pearl, but it sounds like yeah, it sounds like X is the X is the gr- the great one, but Pearl is also quite good. Um, yeah, Pearl, you can feel huh. it's. Uh, bit rushed in parts you know in terms of the production and the script 
X is much tighter in my opinion, but I've seen Pearl just as many times, I think. I managed to watch it twice at the Venice Film Festival because they had a midnight screening premiere and a 2pm screening and the premiere just killed me because it was so late. <laughs> so For late. Sure. And I, f- I fell asleep at the monologue, which is not a, the best well, part to fall asleep <laughs> to. <laughs> right. So I had to rewatch it. Fall but asleep yes. at the monologue, yeah. Uh, oh, man. I saw this this year. I didn't. I thought this movie came out last year for some reason, but uh, might have made my it's, list if I had realized it came out this year. It's been a long year. It's been a long year. Oh my god! It's just yes. I think yeah. I think it came out in February or March in the U.S. I uh, think so, right? That makes sense. Might be. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while. How about you, Aaron? Well, your number I mean, one. I mean, you guys probably know what my number one might be because of who I talk about all the time on this <laughs> podcast, but. Look, I was going to give my number one to Bones and all because I didn't want to be like such a stereotypical David Cronenberg fanboy. But I saw it top film comments number one or it was number one on the film comment poll and number one on the screen slate poll. And I was like, you know what? It is David Cronenberg's year to take my favorite movie movie of the year, which is Crimes of the Future. And I just loved it. I mean, it's. Here's the thing about Crimes of the Future. A lot of people, I think, go into that movie with the wrong expectations because it's very much... It is a body horror movie, but I think a lot of people went into the movie expecting it to be this, like, gross-out, like, body horror movie. Like, oh, that's so disgusting. Um, And Neon leaned into that advertising because Titan was such a big movie. Um, Mm. And I love Titan. That's a great movie. And and I think they wanted to replicate that success with Crimes of the Future. But Crimes of the Future is so good because it is it's more like a hard science fiction neo-noir that you would see like from the 70s. Like it's it's there's a lot of dialogue, a lot of concepts. Uh, David Cronenberg's con uh, commenting on a lot of his pet themes, but also reconfiguring them like the the there isn't so much a reactionary sense of the mutations of the body are things that are destroying your body there's also this whole idea of transformation and accepting the mutations and accepting the transformation that's very progressive and very interesting and i don't know i just i just love everything about the movie i think it's just uh, even down to the the lens that um, Cronenberg uses, I love like the slightly wide angle lenses that he uses. I love like how economical with the cutting it is, he, 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 the, that grasp of editing that he has. And I don't know, it's just one of those movies where it's like every little thing, I just really enjoy it. And the the final shot of Viggo Mortensen that evokes the passion of Joan of Arc just like lifts me out of my seat every time I watch it. I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. So I can go on and on. I've talked about this movie before, but Crimes of the Future is my movie of the year. And I'm just so glad that David Cronenberg made a great movie and he is 80 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's my take. Crimes of the Future is my movie of the year. Probably the best final shot of the year for me as well i'd say it's <laughs> so good so it's good. so it's so good I, I could go on and on but it just is like there's so many moving moments in that movie that i just love but yeah that final shot just lifts it, howard shore's score in that moment is just mm. like oh i'm levitating anyway uh aaron what is your yeah. number one uh, not not to be repetitive, but also Crimes of the Future, probably yeah. recency biased. I just watched it and I've just been chewing on it for the past like three or four days. Um, 
in a lot of ways it feels like like a time capsule movie like i, I think i've i've gone on about these things that feel like they're like lost fragments of the past it's almost like this is like a movie from the 80s starring people from now like to some extent like just like yeah. the styling of it and like the feel of it um yeah i i liked it a lot it was weird and i still don't really know what to make of it nor i have i have not completely put all the pieces together but uh i definitely enjoyed it one, one other small thing i want to say about crimes of the future that i really love is that i love how you just get a little sliver of this world and then the movie ends and i love that because i feel like a lot of movies need to expand upon the lore so much but this movie is like you're just gonna see the art world of it and how the government uh kind of cramps down on all of these um different types of uh transgressions body transgressions and that's all you see so i love mm-hmm. that because it, it it makes my imagination run wild i'm like how is the rest of the world like how is this like like uh how how are how are the politics of the world like but you only see a, a small sliver of that world and i think that is just so evocative and so interesting but i can go on and on i love it cool all right uh are you guys ready to move on to to the 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 small screen the to to, to television let's do it or all right um so we're, let's go first. Well, we're yeah. doing television now. So we did our top five yeah. movies, and now we're going to do television. Um, I don't know if you've seen five TV shows this year, Nick, but um, if you haven't, we could do top threes. Have you done t- five shows? I have five shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll be oh, yeah. shorter and quicker with those. <laughs> so, <laughs> sounds good. I'll. Uh, um, you know, what? I'm going to change it up. I'm going to go first. I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take over this conversation. I'm hi, hijacking it. Uh, my number five All is right. Andor, uh, which is, that's number five. Wow, interesting. Uh, I was thinking about p- putting it higher. Yeah, it could be higher. It's just that mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I feel really strongly about my top four, but the, okay. The thing about Andor and the reason why I love Andor so much is that first of all, it's nice to have good Star Wars finally because I feel like we don't ever get good Star Wars. But second of all, I just think it's an amazing show just about revolutionaries and the subterfuge and espionage they have to use to overthrow imperial governments or just imperialists. And the show almost feels like it was written with that mindset. Like, we're going to write the revolutionary show first. We're going to write Battle of Algiers first. And then we're going to put the Star Wars trappings on it. And that's what makes it such a great show. Like, it really doesn't feel like a Star Wars show, but at the same time, it makes it feel more Star Wars because it just taps into that revolutionary urge to overthrow fascist uh, dictatorships. So I just loved it. And uh, I'm sure we're going to talk more about it because I'm sure it's going to be on someone else's top five. But with that, I'm going to pass it over to Nick for his number five. Yeah, I, I, I will say it straight up. I still haven't seen Andor. <laughs> I really it's great. To, I'm hoping to maybe binge it during the holidays because I know uh, my sister wants to watch it as well. So we're trying to find a time to kind of meet up and watch it together. Uh, so that'd be nice. I've only heard great things. Uh, after having seen Obi-Wan this year, I was like, oh, Ooh, <laughs> oh man, and, fucking um, terrible show. <laughs> I hate so, that show so much. It's so good. That was really bad, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It's not my number five, because my number five is season three of The Boys. 
Um, oh, it's one of those I lo- shows I that loved I, it. I loved it. Everyone, everyone was talking about the boys when it came out, and I was so burnt out on superhero, just just superhero shows and movies. I was like, oh, I'm gonna skip it. But then this year, I kind of started getting back into television a little bit more, and I thought, eh, might as well watch it. And I think I saw the entire series in just like two weeks, which is an achievement for me. I really dig it a lot. And season three of the boys, you know, it's. It's probably the best thing happening right now as far as superhero uh, properties go because it's satire that actually works. It still manages to feel serious and dangerous and threatening whenever there are, you know, po- political problems or, uh, or uh, you know, just the... It, it manages to portray the dangers of the internet in a way that's both funnier and more inspired than so many other films do, than so many other shows that feel more like hackneyed, you know, pandering to the latest trends of yesteryear because it's always too late. The boys manages to feel current, even after one year of post-production, even all, after all the problems, it manages to feel relevant. And that's probably what I like the most about it. It's also just fun. It's just so pleasant to watch. <laughs> Which is could have easily been far more boring, I think, or, uh, or tiring. But instead, you know, three seasons is going strong. There's a spin-off coming out next month, I believe, in January, something like that, of a high school for superheroes. We'll see how that goes. But so far, it's uh, it's a good show. It's a good show. I, I also really like The Boys. I, I, I It didn't make my top five, but it is in my top ten. Um, and I just, uh, I totally agree. I think it, I think it does the uh, satire really well, specifically with the character of Homelander. I think yeah. Homelander is just such a great villain, and I like how he's a combination of Fox News and Tucker Carlson, but he's also really <laughs> cynical and self-interested, and he'll spread fake news not because he wants to promote an ideology, it's just because he wants people to like him and to appear great, so he's constantly spreading fake news, and I just think... Uh, mm. I think uh, Homelander. I think I think it was. I think it's a great show without Homelander, but I think it mm-hmm. goes to the next le- level just because Homelander is such a great villain. Um, yes, he's so good. But um, anyway, number five for uh, Aaron. Yeah, so my number five is Barry. Uh, I, I won't. I suspect this might show up again, so I won't say too much about it. It, it was definitely. I think it was the darkest season of Barry, and Barry's a show that kind of more than just flirts with the darkness, but I, I enjoyed it. I had to like reprocess what happened recently to be like, well, how did I feel about that, 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 uh, season? Um, but yeah, it's still, still going strong. Still, still our favorite hitman in Los Angeles. <laughs> I don't know. Well, this is a good segue. Cause my number four is Barry. And I think what I love about Barry is that it's just so, um, uh, I, I think I think Bill Hader just has a knack for just doing these insane bottle episodes that come out of nowhere that are just these really prolonged action scenes. And the season three of Barry has one episode in particular that's just excellent and just so over the top where basically a bunch of people are trying to kill him and he he's able to like survive by just like, you know, fucking them ba- right back. So it's it's a great episode. Um yeah, uh, I was debating about ranking Andor over Barry, but I decided to give it to Barry just really for that one episode. But I don't know; it could go either way. It's also arbitrary. But um, mm. number four for Nick. Number four is Marvel's Mrs. Maisel season four. Um, it's one of those shows oh, that nice. I discovered during the pandemic. 
I was like, ah, how is this going to be? Because I love Mad Men. Mad Men is one of my favorite shows. And so knowing this was For set sure. slightly beforehand, like late 50s, New York, um, I jumped into it and I loved it. And so I managed to catch up with season four as it was coming out. And it is great. Uh, I I really don't have that much to say about it outside of just it's it's a fun look at, you know, feminism and comedy and just New York and America in the early 60s. The humor is just top-notch. The writing is just a firecracker, like, constantly going. There's a joke every five seconds in the performance or in the writing. It's so... It feels like a screwball comedy of Howard Hawks from the 30s. It's just non-stop, like, talking, like, a constant barrage of joke after joke. And most of them land, which is a success in its own right. And also, it's just... like I, I like it when it gets very existential. There are so many you know, themes about accepting who you are and what your dream is and just following it and not giving in to temptation of just, you know, selling yourself for a quick buck to just, you know, live in a capitalist society, <laughs> you could say. Right. But also finding a compromise because you cannot eat nothing, you know, you cannot survive on, on air. So it's uh, it's a great show. I'm, I'm happy they're closing it off with the fifth season. I'm someone who likes it when they kind of start closing things off after four or five seasons not drawing them out too much so yeah it's it's a it's a great one i don't know if any of you guys have seen it actually this uh, is I, I haven't but it's been on my radar no i haven't i should i should check it's it worth out, it though. yeah it's worth it uh i guess number four for aaron oh uh, my number four is kind of a, it, well, it, it's kind of like two sides of one coin. So the real number four is, is the house of the dragon, which is the game of Thrones spinoff show, which, which I think was much better than I ever could have expected. But I also have to talk about rings of power, which is mm-hmm. a pretty bad show, but they came out <laughs> at the same time. And like, they were like, it was like each week you got an episode of each show and you're getting these like extreme high budget fantasy shows is particularly rings of power they spent like a half a billion dollars on the production of it (laughs) Uh, every episode was like was like one of those like was like a tv justifying like spectacle of just like colors and sights and sounds and like digital landscapes but like the storytelling was just really bad uh which which is too bad because Mm. like i think they you know there could have been a lot more it's it's crazy that a show that had that budget got first-time showrunners who basically have the same number of imdb credits as i do uh but like uh in any case house of the dragon which is the actual pick i liked a lot i think it was it was a good way to spin off game of thrones it's a lot more like a slow cooker like historical drama with just a little bit of fantasy in the background like it almost feels like i'm watching you know something about the tutors or whatever uh, which i guess game of thrones was always like that but there was always this bigger broader spectacle this was much more constrained uh, it, it gets off to a slow start and it does some things with recasting that I think irritated a lot of people. But if you understand there's going to be time jumps and some recasting, I think it really goes place. And I think the, the next season is going to be just incredible. And I, I think it ended like as about as strong as it possibly could have. Nice. I only lasted one episode of uh, Rings of Power. So, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, to it all. I, did, yeah. I, I, I lasted like 20 minutes. I was like, this is this is just not it. <laughs> really? Oh, the first episode was substantially better. Than, I don't know, man. It was oh, a whoa, dumb whoa. show, but it was so it, like the only reason I watched it is just it was just pretty like it was really pretty. Uh, like, mm. so I'm like, OK, this isn't like I'll just completely turn off my brain and eat the popcorn. Supporting the VFX artists. It's like, yeah, we, you you worked hard, you know, during the pandemic, so that's all. Oh my god, yeah, no, it's 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 it has better special effects than 
any movie I've seen in recent times. So, yeah. Um, I, I still need to watch House of the Dragon, though. I just, uh, a, a, mm-hmm. the two shows that I really want to watch, and I think I'm going to try to rectify this over holiday break. I want to watch House of the Dragon and then Cyberpunk Edge Runners. So I kind of want to watch yeah. those two. Um, but anyway, uh, I think, uh, yeah, my number three, we're going to get into number three now. Um, the Oh, yeah, number three. My number three is Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal. Uh, which was, you know, just the craziest season of TV I've seen since probably Nathan for you. So, <laughs> um, the rehearsal is such a hard show to describe to people. It's one of those things that you just ha- kind of have to sit down and watch because it's just me describing the premise is just going to make people be like, what the hell is that? But it's just Nathan Fielder doing his crazy form of docudrama that is kind of on another level. Uh, I would even say that he is the modern day Abbas Kiristami. I think he's doing what movies like Close Up and Taste of Cherry did, um, The Wind Will Carry Us, like those types of movies, but um, now in the U.S. So I think he's just he's just doing some wild stuff, and I love just being on this journey with Nathan Fielder. So my number three is the re- the rehearsal. Nice. Well, my number three, I didn't know if I should put it on the list because technically it hasn't come out yet, actually. Um, but it's Nicholas Winding Refn's Copenhagen Cowboy. Oh, man. Just coming out on Netflix. It so <laughs> it's coming out on Netflix next month. I think I think like the 5th of January. So, you know, it still applies. Um, I managed to see this on the big screen and it was amazing. It's I really liked his previous show, um, Too Old to Die Young for Amazon Prime. Right. Some episodes are a bit slower than others, you know, it's it's a lot of hours of TV, I think it's like 11 hours, maybe total, maybe 12 hours even, for like 8 episodes, very uneven, some episodes are 20 minutes, others are 90 minutes, uh, but Copenhagen Cowboy is basically Dickles Winding Ref in long form, but without all of the fat, it's 5 hours, linearly told, this very bizarre story of of a woman who maybe is a mute, maybe she has like kung fu powers and she's working in a brothel, but then she escapes the brothel and she ends up working for the Chinese mafia and then another type of mafia. And there's this blonde weirdo that's following her around and there's, you know, pretty blondes rising up from the grave. It's insane. It's <laughs> insane. Awesome. There, there's there's men that just talk like pigs. Literally, they're just grunting their way through everything. It's like, what? <laughs> It's like it's it's amazing. It's Nicholas Winding Refn, but just actually very engaging. So I, I I think it's going to be relatively successful, more successful even than uh, Too Old to Die Young. It has less to say thematically speaking. It's not about anything grandiose. No critique of like you know Trump's America or anything like that. But it's just fun. <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah, I watched. Uh, I tried watching Too Old to Die Young, but I think I just kind of burnt out on it because some of the episodes were just so slow paced. Yes. So, so I think I'll probably like this one more because I think, I don't know, I'm more of a drive kind of guy than a only God forgives kind of guy. So I think Same. I think I'll like this one more. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, Aaron, what's your next pick? I think we're at number three still. Number yeah. three. Yeah, so you already said it, but Andor, uh, like, like you, you spoke on some good points about the the revolutionary uh, nature of that show. I think 
if you look at sort of what Star Wars has done over the course of, I would say, both of you guys' lifetime, uh, this show strips all of that out. Like it go, it goes back to like like if there was only Star Wars and maybe The Empire Strikes Back, and 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 rethinks the universe of Star Wars from that from those sort of starting points with, with those as sort of axioms. So. I think it's it's a good it's it's almost feels like a reboot of Star Wars. I mean, it's not a reboot, but it's just like it just gets rid of so much of the crap that's been added onto there that I think has been bad. And I don't know how many Star Wars movies and shows has Disney put out now. It's like seven movies and four shows or something like that. And, so and I don't think any of them are really worth my time. So I I was just surprised that this came out. Like I guess it's just like you just keep throwing shit at the fucking wall, something's gonna stick. But this this was. A really really good show uh, i would say it's a really good show you know absent the star wars license it's a very high quality science fiction show uh, i i will say that it has probably the best mo- some of the best monologues i've ever seen in any show too so like stellan skarsgård and andy circus have some just banger monologues in it and it's just yeah i love i love andor i think andor is one of those shows that i could have ranked higher but like it's just yeah, there's like so much competition, and it really just depends on time of day or time of the week. <laughs> but um, I love Andor so much. My favorite Star Wars in a long time, maybe since the original trilogy. But um, yeah, my number two. Are we? Yeah, we're already at number two. So, man, this one's tough. This is tough. <laughs> my number one and number two. It really, it really depends. I'm gonna say my number two is Better Call Saul. Though it probably could be number one. Uh, <laughs> it really depends. Shocked. I'm shocked. Yeah, I'm going to say number two is Better Call Saul to be a, slightly of a contra- contrarian. But number one wow. and number two, it could go either way. It really could go either way. And I'll say what my number one is later. But uh, Better Call Saul, I think, cement this recent season of Better Call Saul cements it, in my opinion, as better than Breaking Bad. I just think it's just an incredibly nuanced show about so many different things about um like the 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 dichotomy and the relationship between the law but also crime and how those two things interact with one with one another but it also just has just the best meat and potatoes storytelling like every plan has a payoff everything is so carefully engineered in a way that i i don't think i've ever seen in a tv show before and that's not necessarily to to say to say that it's the best show I've ever seen, but I think in terms of just craft, it doesn't really get better than Better Call Saul. Um, it's just the kind of show that you would just show students in the screenwriting class to be like, "This is how you write great characters. This is how you pay off those characters. This is how you um, how you pay off any plant that you put into your narrative." Um, and nothing feels random. Like it's just so carefully engineered, like an Apple watch. And it's just, I love better call. Saul. I think it's a masterpiece, but not my number one, at least not today. <laughs> so anyway, I'll pass it off to Nick for number two. <laughs> my number two, uh, it's something that, you know, it's kind of a miracle, you know, when, you know, like when, when twin Peaks: the return came out and you thought, wow, I never thought this would happen. This is how I felt with the Kingdom Exodus. Oh out. shit, Lars, Lars von, Trier. von Trier. Nice. Love, love, love Lars von Trier. I genuinely thought he was not going to make anything more after the house that Jack built. 
I remember I went through his entire filmography back in 2019 and I watched The Kingdom. This, like, two season, six episodes each, TV show set inside a hospital in Norway, and there's, you know, screwball comedy, slapstick humor, but also ghosts and demons and prophecies. It's insane. It's bizarre. It's Lars von Trier. And he never managed to close it off with the third planned season. And a lot of cast members died. I think the co-author died as well, the co-creator of the original show. Uh, but in some weird, magical way, managed to get funding for this third and final season, which is incredible. Like, I'll only say the opening scene is, in, is insane of, of a woman just watching the ending of the second season of The Kingdom and kind of throwing the DVD in the trash and calling it absolute garbage. <laughs> And then she goes to sleep and she has a vision and she ends up at the Kingdom Hospital. And the entire aspect ratio changes from prestige television, widescreen, to the 4 by 3 of the original show with the same ugly color palette. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's awesome. amazing. I, I, I oh, know man. it's streaming on movie in the US right now. It's, it's a blast. It's such a short show, honestly. It's like, mm. yeah, six episodes each, I believe, each season. And it's, it's amazing. It's, it, it is the you know scandinavian northern european twin peaks <laughs> pretty much i need to that's awesome i need to like i haven't even uh, heard of that i need to give more credit to like i need to watch Nick- nicholas winning reffin and lars von Schreer more that's what i need to do i need to give and they, they they i owe them a watch for these tv shows yay it's worth it yeah yeah no i'm I, that's immediately jump high on my list uh of things to watch Okay, am I up now? Yes. Yeah. Okay, number two, uh, The Bear, which uh, oh. set in, uh, in in Chicago. It's about a a guy who's a chef who returns home after the death of his brother to take over his Italian beef joint, and uh, and he has a lot of uh, demons chasing him, and he's got a lot of family drama, and the show is just like text, uh, tense and anxious and. Um, it has a single. It has one episode that's only like twenty two minutes long, but it's a oneer, and it has the kind oh, of shit. tension that the film like Uncut Gems has, like where you're just like, <gasps> like you're just sitting there like breathing, like oh my fucking god. Uh, it, it's good storytelling. It's great acting. It, it's 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 such a strange because it's really just about a guy working in an Italian beef shop, shop and you know dealing with his family. But it's it's like every episode just kind of has you on the edge of your seat. It's a very quick watch because it's eight episodes and they're about thirty to forty minutes long. So it's one of those things you could get through quite quickly. Um, and uh, like, I, like I told Oren, Oren could watch it and then he could literally go eat the sandwich, right? He could go get an Italian beef, which uh, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what those are, Nick? I don't actually. Okay. <laughs> right. I that, can't that's imagine. <laughs> Oren, what is an Italian beef? Uh, Can you I feel like that I feel like it's just, it's just friend? like a really soggy like meat sandwich <clears throat> that's amazing. And it's just Italian yeah, that's, beef. That's, it. that's basically what it is. Uh, I will say, if I watch, I really should watch The Bear because I, I I grew up in Chicago, so I feel like I'm a bad Chicagoan for not having watched it. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, it's definitely on the list. I gotta I gotta watch it. My my dad actually watches it, and he says every time he watches it, he's like. That show is really intense. No, it's, <laughs> it's dude. It's one of those shows where you're just like, like especially the one. Some of the last episodes are just like, in, incredibly intense. It's also wow. great. I, I worked in restaurants like a million years ago, but like it captures what it's like to work in a restaurant so so well, uh, and, and really gives a 
insight into that. I don't think I can think of another thing I've seen that's had that kind of a feel. Like it's giving me flashbacks of being a young man working in a restaurant. So it's a great show. I gotta watch I need it. To watch it. Well, but my number one, it almost was Better Call Saul, but uh, I gotta, you know what? My my heart was saying something else, you know? Like, my, my head was saying Better Call Saul, but my heart was saying Donald Glover's show Atlanta, which uh, Atlanta's interesting because it's not as perfect a show as Better Call Saul, and this year they released a season three and a season four. Like, they released both seasons this year. Season three is very flawed, like I it all, like I had a, a hard time with season three because it has a lot of bottle episodes. It makes a lot of narrative decisions that I didn't like. Um, but then season four came out and season four was like banger after banger after banger after banger. And season four is just a perfect season of television. I was just so blown away by it. And uh, I think the reason why I ended up giving it to Atlanta is that I think while Better Call Saul is so carefully engineered and perfect, Atlanta would just take these wild swings that I just crave when I watch TV shows. Like, like it will just be a, an episode where like you explore one of the, the characters, like Ern, going to his therapist and dealing with his trauma. And then the next episode is a bottle, bottle episode, which is like a fake documentary about the first black CEO that Des, Disney ever had. <laughs> and then it goes back to the main characters. And then the show just leans into its Twin Peaks style surrealism so well. Um, to people who don't know, Donald Glover actually sold the show in its first season as it's Twin Peaks with rappers. And uh, I and. Hmm. He's been the spirit of that has been all uh, pervading that show ever since its inception. And I just think it's wonderful. And I just am sad that the show is over, but I'm also glad that it ended so well because season four is just an amazing, I just thought it was an amazing season of television. And um, <clears throat> when I think of my favorite shows like Twin Peaks, The Leftovers, Atlanta, I just, I just love those shows that are, that ep- on an episode to episode basis is just taking those wild swings. So my number one's Atlanta. Loved it. Nice. I, I'm, I'm watching it very soon. I have like this list of like to watch TV and it's on the top of it. So it's coming. It's coming. I can't wait. I can't wait it, to watch it's, Atlanta. I think, I think it's uh one other thing I'll say about Atlanta is if you love Twin Peaks, um, I think Atlanta is the closest thing to Twin Peaks. Um, and I think, it's so great because it applies the Twin Peaks ideas, but to what it's like to be a poor black person in America. Like, and a <laughs> lot of the surrealism stems from the absurdity of that. Um, and it's it's just really powerful stuff and really interesting stuff. So anyway, I hope you enjoy it, Nick, because I know you love Twin yes. Peaks. <laughs> I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Yeah. Um, my number one show of the year, you actually had it earlier or on your list, Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal. Hell yeah. <laughs> Let's Love, go. Like, I live for Nathan <laughs> Fielder's shows. Uh, Nathan, for you, was amazing. But The Rehearsal just took everything on a whole new level. I managed to watch this, one of those very rare occasions where I managed to watch it, like, week by week as it was coming out on the day. And it was just a great experience because every time I thought, wow, this episode was insane. How could even top it next week and you always <laughs> manage to do it every single time leading to one of the most uh personal reflective finale that i've seen probably ever 
it was an emotional gut punch that I was not expecting. Uh, and it's oh, it's such an irreverent, clever show. The fact that HBO threw so much money at him to make it, <laughs> like so much money <laughs> to recreate sets, to hire all the extras and all the actors and just months and months of production, it's insane. It's it's a I would I would I would even say it's an achievement in its own right in a way, um, but it's easily my favorite show of the year and probably one of my favorite things in general this year. Just probably like top five out of all of them it would be like number three maybe number two on my total ranking between movies and shows it's amazing loved it i think i think the uh first episode in particular i mean every episode's great and you're right that it kind of gets better and better but i i have i just just like the the shock of that first episode was just amazing i was just so in it like that with the alligator lounge and i was like oh my god i've been there (laughs) I've been to the Alligator Lounge, and uh, that was just uncanny. It was just uncanny, and I just I love that first episode. The whole show is amazing, though. Uh, I, I love it. Um, but yeah, anyway, number one, the final number one. I defer to you. Aaron. All right. Uh, yeah. So I I am a sucker for basically sci-fi that is that is just like a plotting philosophical thought experiment. And my number one show of the year is Severance, which is uh, came out of nowhere for me. I like I had no idea that the show. I'd not heard of anything of it. I was just watching stuff on Apple TV, and they kept saying like, "Watch Severance," and it was like such a delight for me to watch. It, it was exceptionally well written, well directed, uh, like well conceived. Like it, it was, I just felt like everything it was doing, it was succeeding at like pretty much perfectly. Uh, the concept of the show is that like. There's a company that if you work there, you have to sort of sever your consciousness so that you're when you're working, you, you have like one conscious set of states. And when you're not working, you have a separate set of conscious states. And that the way that the show delineates that with the use of light and uh, framing and, and, and the different cinematography and, and, the, and the acting is in and, and I guess the music, too, is just so effective uh, that it really like makes you question what would that be like? Um, I kind of feel like, 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 uh, Oren said something about it being like Westworld and it is like Westworld, but I think Westworld, like season one is a great season, but it's, it's very flawed first season. Like this is asking similar questions about identity and personality and, uh, consciousness, but I, I just don't see the flaws personally. Maybe I'm just like being, being too much of a stand, but it just, I feel like it just was so successful at what it did, whether or not it's going to continue with the, to be able to live up to what it set up. A lot of these mystery shows like lost and stuff set up a big mystery box and then they just tumble down a hill. So we'll see. But like, it's one of the best seasons of television I would say I've ever seen. Like I really, really enjoyed it. So yeah, severance. Yeah. I was also a fan of severance. not as much as you Aaron, but I did really, really like it. Uh, I think the thing that I would say about it the most is that it's my favorite Terry Gilliam thing uh in in decades because terry gilliam doesn't really make good movies anymore so so that's the way i kind of see it it's like like this is the this is the terry gilliam thing i've been wanting but he doesn't make really good movies in my opinion but um anymore at least yeah um also i another thing i like about severance is that i think um john turturro has just an amazing performance in it um it's my favorite thing he's done in a long time um so there's that i think he just really killed it in that show Yeah. All right. Well, guys, I think that might be our uh, 
linear media wrap up for 2020. What do you think? Yeah, see crimes of the future and, <laughs> and uh, be weirded out by it or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, take your pregnant partner there too if, if you want. Um, <laughs> they might enjoy it. It's a great date know. night. Uh, <laughs> Nick, thanks for, thanks for stopping by and sharing some of your passion for cinema with us and, and some of the movies. I, I'm glad I could get you guys talking about this because I, like I said, didn't get a chance to watch that many movies this year. It was a busy year pregnancy and all these other things but i i hope to uh to catch up next year maybe it's never too late put it's never too late all on your list definitely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. The, you're gonna love that one especially since you love call me by your name oh my god that's that's one of my favorite movies um all right <laughs> i i i think we're gonna wrap this one up uh we will be back in a week with uh game of the year and uh yeah thanks again everybody adios 